Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Baseball is Good. My name is Corey Engelhart. I am the host, and this is my 21st episode of Baseball is Good. My guest tonight um, has had a busy day. I guess I'll put it that way. And I'm excited to talk to him about um, some... uh, a document that he has helped primarily put out today that has been very interesting to read along with the other work that he does with the website Twins Daily that I'm a regular reader with. Um, and it's been, it'll be a fun show to chat with him and, and get to know him a little bit because I don't know him personally, so I'm excited for that opportunity. Um, he hasn't logged in yet, so for the time being, I guess I can just talk about uh, anything really. It's pretty open, <laughs> open book on that end. But um, this last week's been interesting. I'm, I've I, I mentioned it in past podcasts. I, uh, my wife and I are in the process of selling our house, and it's been a lot to go with. Um, and we don't have any offers yet, so hopefully that comes soon. But been kind of trying and and been interesting. Um, I don't know if other people have attempted to sell homes before, but really it's kind of like um, basically you need one buyer to make an offer and then things kind of get going and it hasn't been even a week yet, but we're we're hopeful that we can make this work and sell the house and, and then start saving money to um, have a down payment on another house and that probably will be sometime at a point next year depending on how much we can make on the house, but it's been interesting, I guess, so far, just learning about what people think about what you've called home for the past eight, nine years. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a learning experience um, for me to see maybe what my home is worth and what we could maybe make on it. And now we're just hopeful that um, somebody will make an offer and we can go from there and and move move on. Um, so yeah, hopefully this 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 time in our lives goes quickly and there isn't as much stress with that. But otherwise, it's been fun um, having this podcast to be able to not think about reality once in a while. <laughs> and um, I hope tonight it will be a fun show just to talk about what's been going on in the world of baseball recently and, and get to know my, um, my guest. So I see he's online now. My, um, without further ado, I'm going to bring him on and we'll go from there. Hello, Nick. Are you there? I am. How's it going, Corey? Oh, pretty great. How about yourself? Doing well. Doing well. Just relaxing here, watching, uh, watching this very random Thursday night football matchup between the uh, New York clubs here, and uh, I'm just uh, relaxing a little bit. <laughs> that sounds exciting. So, um, you are Nick Nelson, and you are part of Twins Daily. And I was hoping you could describe a little bit about yourself before we get the show started. I am, yeah, yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to chat with you. Um, yeah, uh, basically, I've. Uh, been working uh, with John and Seth and Parker on uh, Twins Daily since we launched the site in, in 2012. Uh, I was blogging 
about the Twins for, for many years before that. Started doing so uh, sure. when I was in, in college as a little bit of a, a writing outlet. And, um, yeah, it's just it's, it's sort of sort of kept me going. It's been fun to sort of meet people and chat about uh, baseball with like-minded people uh, such as yourself. So uh, it's it's been pretty enjoyable. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, it's uh, – the World Series obviously just ended, so I'm going through a little bit of a withdrawal right now. Thus, I'm watching the, the Buffalo Bills on TV for some reason. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're not even paid for but, that. Uh, That's sad, really. <laughs> it's good to have uh, folks like you during the off season that we can keep keep the chatter going about uh, our beloved baseball. Sure. Well, yeah, I I wanted to ask one question. I ask everybody on the podcast. It's been a little bit of a run. I I like finding out. Um, why baseball? Like, why for you is baseball something that you like to be a, a part of? Or, like, um, what got you into the sport as a as a young person, I guess, more than anything? <clears throat> yeah, you know, I guess for me it was uh, it was pretty natural. I think I was kind of drawn to it. Uh, it was always just a sport, my number one sport growing up, you know, from T-ball up until high school. Um, it was really the one sport I played consistently. I was just sort of loved, uh, really enjoyed all the aspects of actually hitting and fielding and, and all that and the strategy of it. And, uh, you know, I went to a lot of Twins games at the Metrodome as a kid. My parents uh, were big Twins fans as well, so I think that was quite influential. And, uh, you know, riding the bus down to the Metrodome, getting the cheap seats to not hold games and uh, watching a lot of bad baseball, but still kind of, uh, you know, getting to see Kirby Puckett and some of those the stars in the 90s when I grew up and was young and watching the game. Like, it was a uh, – I guess a little romantic in a way. Um, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, when I went to college, uh, I you know, vividly remember sort of that 2004 playoff series. And it was just sort of when I was first coming into adulthood and, uh, you know, it was changing. I was getting maybe a little more serious about the way I watched and analyzed the game and just getting frustrated about Joe Nathan being overused and Jason Kubel, I don't know, Lou Ford not getting to hit. All these, all these crazy decisions that happened <laughs> in that infamous Yankees series. And, I think that was sort of what uh, what propelled me to want to write about the team, and I started the the blog the following spring uh, with a buddy at college who I met that was a, a also fellow Twins fan, and uh, it just sort of took off from there. So it's, I guess it's just kind of been a snowball effect through my life. Sure. Well, so your blog, I, I don't want to butcher the name. I, I just remember it being Nick's blog, but I'm probably – uh, parsing that wrong. What was your blog called before you merged with Twins Daily? So, so it was originally when it launched, it was called Nick and Nick's Twins Blog, and uh, I, okay. I had started it with another guy named Nick, uh, the person I referred to earlier that I'd met in college in in one of our night classes, and we would kind of watch the games uh, on our computers and not pay attention to class. <laughs> so you know that's great. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, he was also kind of into it. There wasn't too many blogs back then. I think maybe Bonus and Gleeman and uh, Batgirl and, and maybe a couple other things were going on. But, you know, for me as an aspiring journalist and writer, it was just a good opportunity to sort of be able to write every day and uh, write about something that I enjoyed and, and something that had, you know, a lot of interest and sort of found readers and people that were interested in talking about the same things. And uh, and then eventually uh, the other co-owner the other Nick went off to to grad school I think that was in probably like 2008 or 2009 and then it just became Nick's twins blog and uh, that's what it was for (laughs) for the several years leading up to twins daily so obviously very creative with the naming conventions (laughs) it works and and, uh, your twitter handle is very creative creative for yourself too (laughs) 
Yeah, very, very creative. I can say <laughs> lots of thinking behind it, but yeah. Your, your Twitter handle is is very creative compared to your name too, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the name in the state I live in. So yeah, it's pretty <laughs> Nick Nelson MN. <laughs> sure, so look me up and say hi. Yeah. <laughs> and I did, so that's been great. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, before we talk about all of the stuff that you're doing with Twins Daily lately, especially even just today. Um, what what do you do? What do you do outside of Twins Daily? Like, what is a regular day like for you? Uh, so I'm lucky enough to uh, write not only as a hobby but as a profession. I'm a uh, I'm a content writer at a marketing agency. So uh, it's it's writing. It's maybe not writing about things I love as much as baseball all the time, but uh, you know, it's fun. It's I've, I've always been sort of a marketing mind. Uh, my dad. Was was a big uh, marketer who launched launched a very successful agency uh, and and ran it for much of his life. Um, so I've definitely learned a lot from him, and um, you know, sort of sort of have always had those the principles and philosophies of marketing implanted in my mind, which I think, along with loving to write and really appreciating sort of the ability to write persuasively and uh, compelling copy, um, has always been something that I've been interested in and enjoying doing. So. Uh, that's kind of what I do in my day job is, is do that for the brands that uh, and clients that we work with at, at our agency. That's great. So, it, 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 do you like have a routine where you're up at four thirty in the morning making your third cup of coffee and then going to work <laughs> and working till nine at night, or what is it like? Do you have like a typical day that schedule-wise you you run by, or how? Because I know, like, reading, I, I follow you on Twitter too, and I know you're into like doing things after work too, as far as like music or other things. Um, what is a typical day like for you if you're needing to do work and write for Twins Daily and, and anything else? Do you have like a regular routine throughout the week? Yeah, um, you know, I don't know that it's too too crazy. I mean, I work basically a nine to five, um, pretty standard work hours, and uh, you know, I do like to stay busy. I like to. I've, dabble in music a little bit haven't done too much with that for a while but uh you know like to hang out with my friends um you know during the summer i'm playing softball and kickball all the time and so it it definitely can get hard to uh find time for the site and for the writing that i have to do with twins daily but um i find that you know we have sort of designated days that we that we write and, and publish our posts and everything like that so i just sort of plan around that and there's nights where I'll be up until uh, maybe 12 o'clock trying to finish off a post and, and get it published, and uh, that's just sort of part of the deal. But, um, you know, I think being able to, to split up the work a little bit, you know, and have, have guys like Seth and, and John around to help and run the site and all the people that contribute as well, you know, on Twins Daily, which I think is such a big part of the site is there's so many uh, people outside of the founders who are who are helping drive the site and writing stuff and keeping the conversation going that um, – it's not. It's. It doesn't burn me out as much as it could. I think if you know, if it was still <laughs> like it was when I was going it alone, I probably would have quit a long time ago. <laughs> sure. Well, I've asked Seth this too, and he kind of said the way Twins Daily started um, was pretty organic as far as just hanging out and saying, "Hey, maybe we should do something like this." Is that your? Um, how is that how you would describe the experience for you in in terms of coming together with people you know but hadn't worked with to build? Twins Daily as the site it is? Yeah, I think organic is a, is a good way to put it. Um, I guess I, John was probably the first one of the group I met 
and I think uh, my my getting to know John's story is the same as a lot of people. You know, I mean, I was a I was a young dopey kid. I was in college, and he was just really nice. And we went to a Twins game together, and he was just like the friendliest guy that I've ever met, and was always just reaching out and seeing if I wanted to work on. Uh, writing something for, you know, the scorecard, which, which they're providing content for for so long. And uh, John's always been like a real kind of driving force for your entrepreneurial mind. So I think he was probably the force that really kind of helped bring me and himself and Seth and Parker together. And, uh, you know, we started working on some projects. We kind of had the twin-centric group in place long before Twins Daily was a thing, and we were putting out sort of our handbooks. I think the first one was almost 10 years ago that we put out. Um, sure. Working on projects together, doing events together. And that was, that was sort of how it started. And then it just sort of naturally progressed to the point where we were like, let's just bring all our sites together and make this just sort of one central thing where uh, we can try to build a community. Yeah, it's been awesome. I, I mean, I'm a fan from afar, but yeah, it's been really fun to, to watch it grow to what it is. Um, I, I guess that, that, kind of follows into my next question like how um with the with the handbook that was released right after the world Series ended last night how 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 do you go about putting that together like i know it's a collaborative effort but like what is it what does that entail i guess putting something like that together and making sure it's ready to go it's uh it's changed a lot over time, you know. When we I, I I look back, I think I looked back the other night at the first one we put out, which was like the two thousand nine, two thousand ten off season I think. And it was like a word doc with like the crappiest like <laughs> clip art and like saddest like design work and formatting you will ever see. It's just it's embarrassing to go back and look at it, but you know, that was that was where we were at at that point. Uh and it, it was it was a ton of work. I mean, we all split it up, and it was it was insane. Um, and you know, over the years, I think you know the fact that Brock uh, came into the fold a little bit after we launched Twins Daily. Brock Bochamp, you know, he's our uh, mm-hmm. he's our designer developer, and and he he would help us with the design, and that was kind of a game changer. Um, but it really is collaborative. I think there's been times where the product has been at risk of maybe dying out just because people have so many commitments in life. I mean, I think you see that reflected in, in some of the stuff on the site, you know, John has to dedicate all his time to kind of trying to keep the, uh, the twins daily, all the administration of, of that it goes into it. So he's not able to write as much anymore. Parker's got, you know, two young kids, so he's not able to write as much anymore. So, um, I've always just really, really liked the product. I, I just like the idea. I love it. And, and me, myself, as a reader, it's like the exact kind of thing that I would want. So I've I've kind of been I would say the driving force and really keeping it going. And I've sort of taken over um, the editorial uh, aspects of it and really kind of you know I, I wrote most of the content and you know Seth and John mm-hmm. and Parker all chip in and uh, Brock obviously does the design work, which is a, a huge part of it. Uh, you know and uh, you know, we set up timelines and it gets a little hairy at times and we fall behind a little at times. I didn't really think we were going to have it ready in time this year, but, uh, but everyone pulled it together at the end and, uh, and we got it done and got it out. So, uh, it's always an adventure. That's for sure. <laughs> that's great. Well, you said everyone kind of works together and maybe it's changed over the years as far as what people focus on in terms of adding to the handbook. Is there something that you, is there a portion of the handbook that you, and I, I know you wrote the opening and had articles in it in other parts, but is there like a section of the off season that you like to focus on more than others? Like I know Seth likes the minor leagues more than 
most people maybe do or should even arguably, but like, is there a part of the handbook that you, uh, is more in your wheelhouse than other people have? Uh, I really like the, the free agency section. Uh, it's really fun for me to research and write about these guys and then sort of follow how things play out. Cause I mean, you know, obviously there's sort of the, uh, imagining aspect of thinking about, oh, what if what if the twins sign this guy? What if the twins signed you, Darvish? You know, dreaming on that stuff a little bit. But also just from, I think, a general, it's interesting to see um, who these, you know, how much money are these guys going to get? You know, how much, how does the market like place evaluate these guys? And it's sort of as reflective, I think, of, of where baseball stands. You know, I mean, are they paying for RBIs? Are they paying for, you know, what stats are they really paying for? How much, uh, if this guy gets a massive contract, what does that say about sort of the state of revenue intake in the game? You know, I mean, I, I think the the whole free agency market is, is very fascinating to me. So I like uh, going in and writing all that stuff up and, and being able to sort of look at all these different players and see how they would match up to, say, the Twins' needs and how they would maybe fit in the payroll. I think all that stuff is it, just fun to tinker around with, and that's sort of the essence of the offseason to me is – is being in that, uh, and that's, you know, what the GM handbook is sort of supposed to be is, you know, step into the shoes of the GM and sort of uh, role play a little bit and, and think about what you would do. And uh, free, free agency is a fun place to do that for me, obviously, when you don't have to deal with the realities of dealing with agents and all the million other things that go into it. Sure. Well, so you wrote an article that came out uh, today, I think just earlier today even, too, this evening, about uh, myths about the off season. And one of the parts in there, you were saying how um, that the Twins basically won't, one of the myths is that they won't significantly significantly increase payroll. And I figured I could talk about that first because it's not in the handbook, but I don't know how comfortable you, you are talking about the handbook if people haven't chosen to order it yet. But um, why, why do you think that is a myth as far as the Twins? I, I, there's no salary cap in baseball across major league baseball, but why do you think they won't in, sorry, why do you think they will increase payroll and people are, are so hesitant to think that they won't? I guess I'm not saying it's a given that they will. I just think that there's a lot of, there seems to be this mindset that there's just a cap that's not much higher than they were this year that they won't exceed. And it's driven a little bit just by this sort of precedence and sort of what we're conditioned to thinking, which is, you know, twin, they're not going to shoot the payroll up very high. I mean, that's just not what they do. They're not going to go up over $110 million. That would be, you know, the most they've ever spent and all this. But um, I think the point I was trying to make there, and I've been thinking about this a little, is um, – you know, the last time the Twins really went into an off season and said, we're going to try to put out a championship caliber club and, and get over the hump here, I think was, was probably after the 2010 season when uh, they went and brought back Pavano, brought back Jim Tomei. They sort of tried to keep uh, keep the group together that they had made, made a good run with in 2010 and really take it over the hump. And that year they spent the most they've ever spent. Uh, they went up to $113 million, which is more than they spent this year. Um and at that point, you know, they were ranked ninth in the major leagues in, in payroll. So, obviously, it was a little sure. bit of a different ball game back then because this year they're at 108 and they were 22nd. Uh, mm-hmm. So, if you if you move the market forward and look at how payrolls around the league have progressed, the Royals were uh, 15th in the middle of the pack this year at 140. Um, I think the Nationals were ninth this year at 167. So, when you look at the Twins at 108, suddenly compared to the rest of the pack, they're they're way back there. I mean, teams are just spending more. Baseball is, is 
flush with money and the Twins uh, are back in a position where they actually can spend with a purpose and actually have a goal instead of just sort of trying to tread water for these kids to get ready. I mean, the core has arrived. So um, I'm not saying they're going to go out and just throw it up to $160 million, but uh, when we're setting, you know, John, I think, wrote the payroll article in the, in the handbook and said realistically mm-hmm. – 110 to 115 is probably a realistic expectation, and I see that mindset, but I don't think we should just assume that that's necessarily going to be their cap. I think that they could easily have the flexibility to uh, to add more than that and get maybe back up to more towards the middle of the pack instead of being towards the back. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I, I appreciate that you're, you're saying that because I I do see that too, just reading the tea leaves a lot of people online on the on twins daily or or on twitter or other places are very easily assuming that the twins won't spend a lot of money and and you're right they don't need to sign the top four free agents available and spend 200 million this offseason they don't need to do that but they can be smart about who they attempt to acquire and and bring in some players that maybe they wouldn't have 2012 2013 2014 when they were uh, perennial losers, they're finally winning again, and it seems like they should supplement where they need help um, if they're able. Right. You know, I mean, I, I think <clears throat> this is really the first opportunity that this front office, you know, they, they kind of came together already once the offseason had begun a year ago, and I look at this as really their first opportunity to go out there and maybe sign some long-term pieces that they really like and they see a part of, as a part of their core. And I don't think they're going to just pass those pieces up if they see them available because they're afraid of going over some arbitrary low-end payroll number at this point. You know, Joe Maurer's coming off the books after next year. Uh, Brian Dozier could come off the books after next year. Uh, Bianco Park, the money they're paying him. that Phil Phil Hughes is, is maybe two years away that they still owe him money. So all these contracts that they inherited are running out, and Granted, they do have to account to some extent for the fact that a lot of these young players are going to start getting expensive soon, but I do think they have the opportunity to, to go out and start finding some of those pieces that they see being in that big picture. And, you know, why wait? They're going to be competitive next year. They could use the help next year. Sure. Well, um, we don't need to get into specific names even if you want. I mean, we can. It's fun to talk specific names. I, I didn't know if you wrote the blueprint at the end of Twins Daily, the, the off-season handbook, um, but there were some interesting choices at the end. I don't know if you want to even talk about that if people haven't ordered. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we definitely can. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not worried about giving anything away. The handbook is uh, – there's there's tons there. We're not going to give it all away, and it's, it's free if people want to download it for, you know, it's a name your price donation basis. So I'm not concerned about uh, spoilers or anything like that. I did, I did put together the – uh, blueprint at the end. I guess that wasn't very clearly lined out, but uh, yep, that was all me. Um, I'm happy to talk. Okay. About it. And also, John, John, and Seth will have their own blueprints uh, that they've created coming up on Twins Daily. I think Friday and Monday, so you can look out for those as well. Oh, I will absolutely. So, well, then I, I have a couple questions along that line, if that's all right. Um, yeah, one of the ahead. articles that first came out a few days ago um, from the from the handbook was your thoughts on potentially what to do with Jorge Polanco. And there were a couple pitchers in there from the Padres and Marlins um, specifically that you mentioned might be good fits if they were looking to trade somebody like Jorge Polanco. And I wanted to get your thoughts about the guys that you listed in the handbook, people that the Twins maybe should look for that type of player 
if they were to move one of their younger core players like Polanco has become. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm sure one of the guys you're referencing is uh, Denelson Lemay. Is it Lemay? Lemet? I'm not actually sure how to pronounce it. I've heard Lemet, Lemet right? but I could be completely wrong about that, yeah. <laughs> so so basically I, when I was researching for the handbook, I was looking around at teams that I consider more likely to maybe make a shakeup or make a trade. And so you look at maybe the lower lower tier teams, which are going to be more likely to um, – you know, uh, make a make a big splash, and not necessarily one where they're giving up prospects to get a, an established um, asset. So, um, obviously, I was kind of drawn to the Padres, who, as we all know, are a team that is perpetually terrible on offense and deep in pitching. <laughs> I think we always kind of think of them think of them as as a potential match for any team that that needs pitching and has offense to sell. And I think that. That is the Twins' position right now, and they're pretty strong in that position. I mean, they have a lot of bats to offer and pretty good young bats, and they could really use some pitching. So uh, as I looked over what the Padres have, uh, Lamette is is a guy that kind of struck me as as a good possibility. Um, I remember when the Twins faced him during the season, I was really impressed with uh, his build and his stuff. I mean, he throws hard, uh, and he's a big guy. He's well-built. And, um, you know, kind of didn't know too much about him at that time and sort of looked into him a little bit. And uh, he's he's an interesting player. You know, he's never been that super top prospect. And sort of so, so that's, I guess, maybe why he seems a little more attainable to me. I think there are some question marks surrounding him uh, to the point that maybe he would be gettable for a player like Polanco, who himself is, you know, a flawed player with upside. Um, so it seems like sort of a natural match to me, I think, Lamed is just sort of the example of the player that I look at as a guy who isn't at that front of the rotation level yet, maybe, but is a young guy with all the with all the attributes. Um, so I, I just I know people are a little nervous about trading for anyone from the Padres because of the <laughs> uh, Petco field effect on their numbers, but I don't think that's really a play here. He's only pitched one season so far and uh, has been pretty good in the minors. So um, yeah, he's. I, I, I'm interested in the idea of maybe taking one of these, you know, a Rosario or a Polanco, a bat who really kind of came along this year and capitalizing on that and trying to get an arm who can be a real uh, sort of anchor in that rotation. Sure. Well, the other guy that you mentioned in the, in the Polanco article you wrote was Dylan Peters of the Marlins. And I, I, I've looked at his numbers a little bit because you mentioned the ground ball rate and Swinging strikeout rate or swinging strike rate, and I was just curious why why you focused in on on him as a potential option in in a potential Polanco trade. So he, I guess, is more of a guy that I would think of as um, he would be just a, a piece of the package. Like if you were to bring in uh, a couple arms, you know, sort of like the Jaime Garcia, the the Littell and and ends package. You know, it's not like one of those arms is, is just this big arm that you're bringing in and saying, here's what we got. But, you know, Dylan Peters, he was interesting. I, mean, I saw what he did late in the season. He had a little success right off the bat, and uh, some of his peripherals are really interesting. You know, I'm, I'm just a person who, when I evaluate pitching, uh, statistically, I just look at uh, strikeouts, walks, and ground balls, basically, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, those are the guys, that's, that's the reliable profile. You know, a lot of guys have different things going on. And there's certainly people that don't have that attribute that can be successful. But if you can do those three things, uh, I think you're going to be a pretty good bet for success. Um, so, so he's just sort of the example of a, of a guy who who showed those attributes. The lefty, um, another guy who pro- doesn't have the big name or the big 
prospect status wouldn't necessarily be that hard to pry away. And I think if you if you go for guys like that, um, who you scout and, and are you know, look good as well. I mean I think Zach Littell's another example of a guy where they, they looked at the numbers and obviously all the numbers are really good in the minors, but uh mm-hmm. they saw some really good statistical <laughs> profiles there. Um Moya that they got for John Ryan Murphy's another example. You know, they're they're finding guys that are that are that do well in the secondary stats, and that's not really something that we saw as a consistent trend from the last front office. So to me, that's pretty promising. So um, I hope that they'll continue to, to bring in guys like that, and you're, I think you're going to do do well more often than not if you're focusing on getting those kinds of guys. Yeah, no doubt. And then um, I guess I wanted to ask uh, if you were, and, and you did point it out here too. Um, if you were to hypothetically make a deal where you trade a Rosario or a Polanco, does it should we assume that in that if that were to happen that the Twins would bring in somebody from the outside to cover shortstop, second base, or an outfield position, or do you think they have the players on hand to be able to 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 step into that role position wise? Yeah, that's a good question because um, <clears throat> I guess it depends, you know, A, what they think about Escobar and Adrianza. Um, you know, if they think that Adrianza could be a short, at least a short-term plug to start the year, I think defensively he can handle the job because that would probably be a liability. But, you know, in this lineup you can live you can live with a bad hitter in the number nine spot. So I don't think it's the mm-hmm. worst thing in the world. If they trusted Escobar to play shortstop, that would be great. That would be quite a good lineup one through nine. But, it seems like they've uh, sort of soured on him playing shortstop. He wasn't out there too much this year. Um, so, you know, what might be the case is they go out and uh, get a short-term plug. I mean, I, as far as I know, they still see Gordon as a shortstop at this point. So um, he's going to be pretty close to ready when the season starts next year, and, and he's going to be a factor. Um, or, you know, maybe if they don't see that being the case, uh, there's Zach Cozart out there. You could go crazy. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I guess the other question I had from um, the blueprint that was written at the end of the handbook, Ben, if we're able to talk about that, was the move that I think a lot of um, Twins fans and maybe even non-Twins fans reading it would be surprised to see was the um, Irvin Santana trade that you mentioned. And the, the return, I, I think people would grow with and, 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 or sorry, it would grow on people and, and people would learn to like that move. Um, we can start with that, but I, I, I wanted to follow up with, uh, I, I felt like the blueprint, if that kind of move was going to be made along with a couple others that I had questions on why other moves couldn't have been made at that point. But, um, I'm rambling a little bit. Let's start with the the Irvin Santana trade that you had in your blueprint and and the thinking behind what you what that what that move was. I, I was curious um, why you decided on a move like that. So so here was sort of my the mindset behind that. Um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, I think this is the first opportunity for for the front office to go out and sign some long term pieces. So uh, what I what sort of drove that is I think they should go sign one of these frontline starters on the market. I mean, not a very Twins-like move, but there's really no reason they couldn't do it. So uh, the one I like best of the group, and this is probably not the most popular statement considering what happened last night, but I really like you, Darvish. Uh, you know, he's a good, he's a good pitcher. He's, he's um, he, he came back fairly well from the Tommy John surgery. He's been healthy. 
he's got absolutely nasty stuff. He's fairly young. Um, you know, he's pitched in big games. He pitched very well in the playoffs up until these last couple games. So I'm not exactly just going to mm-hmm. call him a choke artist or anything like that. Um, and, you know, I see he's a, he's a guy that I think you could sign to, say, a five-year deal. It's going to be expensive, but you can plan on him being one of those front-of-the-rotation starters that uh, that they need. Um, and, and I guess the premise behind trading Urban Santana in order to pave the way for him is driven in part by <clears> – <throat> Uh, you know, as much as I can say, as we talked about earlier, that uh, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to raise payroll and sign Darvish in addition to Santana, uh, if we're just staying within sort of these realistic constraints that we've laid out and assuming that they're going to sort of uh, maintain a, a fairly close level to where they've been, then maybe it's not quite feasible to add that salary on top of everything else. So clearing out Irvin Santana's uh, thir- $13.5 next year um, lessens the blow quite a bit, you know, for for the 2018 payroll. Um, but beyond that, you know, there is really a part of me that feels like the Twins should be looking to sell high on Irvin Santana this offseason. Um, I I can't imagine his value is ever going to be higher again than it is right now. He just had the best season of his career at age 34, 35. Um, he's logged tons of inning on that arm. He's thrown tons of sliders. Uh, you know, his peripherals and secondary numbers will tell you that he was nowhere near as good as uh, the ERA was, I think he had like a 4.4 uh, FIP. So, and, and, you know, the other thing to consider is that if he pitches a certain number of innings next year, his 2019 uh, option becomes guaranteed. So, you know, if he pitches 180 innings next year and he's just so-so, then, well, too bad. You're paying him, you know, $13.5 million to come back again in 2019. So I also kind of look at that and I say, well, I mean, if you can trade him for – I think in the, the, the handbook, the, the idea was, was Robert Stevenson from, from the Reds, who's just sort of an erratic, mm-hmm. young, talented prospect. Or not uh, project. I mean, I mean, he's been up in the majors a little. Um, I think mm-hmm. you get an intriguing young arm and flip him and sign someone who, instead of being part of the next two years it, at 35 and 36, will be part of the next five years and is like early to mid-30s like Darvish. To me, that's the kind of swap I think you need to make at this point when you start right at the front end of a rebuilding cycle, especially because to me, Darvish is a huge upgrade over Santana. Yeah, no doubt there. I, I, I agree that Darvish would be fun. And if, if there's any chance that any teams question how good Darvish is based on two games in the playoffs and about three and a half innings total um, to help him fall to the twins, I would be all for that too. But uh, initially when I saw that deal, I was like, I was thinking, what's going on here? Why would you trade for a guy that is ending in the bullpen with Cincinnati? But then you're right. The more you look at Stevenson or somebody like him is is kind of the idea where to target a player that is still young, still has a big arm, still has strikeout stuff, and absolutely needs refinement. That's the kind of pitcher that um, – Cleveland's gone after in Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco and turned into really good pitchers. And it's the kind of starter that doesn't always work out, but you want to take a chance on. And um, part of me was just thinking like, if there's any way they could get somebody like Stevenson without giving up Santana, that might be good just for 2018. But I appreciate the long-term look more than maybe some fans do in the time to trade Santana might be now he might I mean, like you said, his FIP was not good last year. His strikeout and walk numbers were not conducive to the ERA that he had typically. And it might be worth 
exploring a, a deal like that, the more the more I thought about it, I, I appreciated the deal um, throughout the day today, just after reading it. So it was it was interesting to read, and I I appreciate the unique move that was written in your blueprint. I guess I wanted to say more than anything. Yeah, yeah, good to hear. Um, uh, it's it's good to know. I mean, I definitely when I presented that plan to uh, to the rest of the group, uh, I, I sort of faced with somewhere they were like, "What?" And I had to kind of talk my way <laughs> through it. You know, we didn't want the we didn't want the like blueprint to go on forever in the handbook, so I didn't really dive into too much depth. But uh, it might be fodder for a uh, more more extended blog post. But you know, I did put some thought into it, and you know, Robert Stevenson is just a name I threw out. I mean, obviously these teams have the ability to scout and and evaluate these players much more deeply, but um, you know, when I bring up guys like Lamet and, and Stevenson, it's just sort of the the type of guy that I would like to see this team go for is a guy who has has those kinds of pitches, has those kinds of secondary numbers, has those kinds of results in the minors, um, and is at that young age where he still could turn the corner, especially with maybe just the right pitching staff and hopefully uh, the new pitching coach that the Twins have brought in here in the, within the past few uh, days is, is the kind of guy that can help people realize that potential. Sure, and I I like the thinking too. Uh, Levine has said more than anything that the Twins for pitching need to target guys that can strike players out because historically over the last um, forever, the Twins have not been good at striking batters out from their pitching staff. So uh, to target guys, even even with the potential to have that option, is, is something that I think they will do this offseason if it's um, players that – regular fans have heard of like you Darvish or if it's young guys that you need to take a chance on. I think it's, it's the right, right move to take. So I appreciated you putting the names in there of guys that have strikeout stuff and maybe do need refinement on command or control or just having innings to be able to work through things and work with a new pitching coach. It it could be something that maybe you find a diamond in the rough, I guess, more than anything and go from there. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's uh that that's a big part of the goal and I think a big part of the reason that they brought this front office in, uh, especially Salvi, because I think they see him as being one of those uh people who has the combination of sort of pitching IQ and just that innate ability to recognize good attributes in pitchers and that sort of data driven analytical uh mindset where, you know, he can pick up the cues, um and I think it blows my mind that it's taken sort of baseball front offices across the league this amount of time to realize that well, you know, K-to-walk ratio is a really important stat. We should, probably shouldn't be going after guys that have terrible K-to-walk ratios, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of been the case, and now it's good to see. You know, I mean, the moves that, that these guys have made, and granted they haven't made too many major ones, but I think uh, you see a lot of the right signals when you look at those signs. Sure. Well, I guess I wanted with the the blueprint at the end of the handbook here. Um, I, I guess it, it almost left me. I wouldn't say disappointed is the word because they've, it's obviously adding talent to the organization and to the major league roster. But um, with with your article of saying that the Twins should be able to add payroll, and with the blueprint, I, I was curious why a player like a designated hitter or maybe another outfielder to platoon with Max Kepler wasn't part of the blueprint that you had at the handbook. So I was working within, I mean, John was payroll, the payroll aspect of, of the, of the handbook and sort of set the parameters of, 
you know, 110 to 115 million is about probably the higher end of what we could realistically expect. So I'm not going to go rogue here. I mean, it's all one one unified product. So I'm I'm just kind of going along, and that's why that's kind of the idea of the handbook is everything. You know, we'll set the parameters. We'll set sort of the um, projected estimated contracts, which sometimes are right on and sometimes are horribly off, but uh, and, and just gives you the ability to say, okay, okay, here's the number we have to work with. Here are the uh, estimated, you know, numbers. If we sign them, this is how much it would work against the payroll. If we trade this guy, this is how much it would take off. And so I, I was basically just trying to work within those parameters. Now, um, you know, if it's true that they're willing to, to make to add payroll, I absolutely think that was the one thing that was missing in that blueprint was bringing in that right-handed bat, um, which I really think they could use. You know, a guy, uh, ideally, a guy like JD Martinez would be really sweet. So you could sort of DH and then have him bat for Rosario or Kepler against lefties. But uh, on a more realistic level, I think there's like a lot of guys out there who are maybe a decent corner outfielder, maybe a better defensive outfielder than Robbie Grossman. Uh, who swings the bat well from the right side and can hit lefties. I think that is maybe one of the few missing components on this offensive side of this roster. Sure, and I, I think uh, just pres- if they could find somebody like um, a Cameron Mabin or an Austin Jackson, in my mind, I think that would be a perfect fit to not straight platoon maybe, but have as an option to face against lefties and still play better defense than what Robbie Grossman can provide. I, I think that'd be a perfect match for a fourth outfielder type. And I, I just was, you're right. It's it's hard to stay like in parameters that are maybe set, but I was hoping that um, I just, I, I kind of hope that that's at least an option that they look at come this off season here to help the lineup. I, I don't know. Like part of me is a little bit scared for the future of, Miguel Sano and his surgery. I, I don't know how the Twins are going to handle that um, in terms of planning. What what do you anticipate for for Miguel Sano, or can you even anticipate with? I mean, he's having surgery in about a week, and he hopefully will be healthy, and we all hope he'll be healthy. But do you think the Twins should be planning that he's going to be the third baseman for the next couple, three, four years, or do you think they should plan for him to be the the DH going forward and plan around that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I have no idea at this point. Um, you know, I know it's, it seems like a fairly serious surgery, um, you know, to have a titanium rod inserted in your leg. Uh, but as far as I know, he'll come back a hundred percent next year and won't have any limitations. So I think uh, the bigger question will be, is this going to set him behind, in his conditioning and his rehab and preparation in the off season, obviously there's already some questions circling around those issues in some areas. Um, and yeah, is, is it going to take anything away? Is it going to limit his mobility or his explosiveness? And if that's the case, it does, it does change the equation quite a bit. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of things that have been discussed as possibilities there at third base. If he's not ready to go, I think in the short term, Escobar obviously has proven himself to be a solid option there. Uh, you know, people have suggested the idea of Polanco moving over there since he's a little stretched it short. People have talked about Dozier possibly playing there. Uh, there's not a ton in the minors right now, but obviously a lot of shortstops coming up through the pipeline, and those guys often move over to third. So uh, it's all kind of up in the air right now. I've never expected Sano to be at third base more than another two or three years at, at the most. Um, I just don't think that's too realistic, but... 
hopefully he can stay there for another year or two. He looked fairly solid there this year in my eye when he was able to play it. Um, and it helps a lot to be able to put him at that position instead of first base or DH. You know, it increases his value substantially. Sure. So I should, as a fan, not get my hopes up that the Twins are going to sign Carlos Santana as well, right? Like, is that a dumb thing to be dreaming about, I guess? I don't know. You know, that was uh, that was definitely an intriguing name that we that we covered in the handbook. I think um, the idea of him being like a most uh, a DH most of the time in the next year, and maybe rotating in with Mauer at first, and then uh, if Mauer is to depart after next year, having Santana take over at first base um, is a very is very intriguing. I think Santana is the type of player that uh, you want in this lineup. He's a he's an on base machine, which is which is what they want. You know, they got a lot of power hitters and they want guys to be able to get on base. So I think I like the idea. I think if the price was right, they'd make that move. You know, if they could get him for, um, for what Cleveland got Edwin and Carnassian for, uh, or even a little below that, you know, or just a similar scenario where it's like the price just slips and it's like, wow, okay, we could actually get this guy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, I think that'd be great. I think, I think he does fit. I just don't know if maybe if they, make a big move like that this offseason if it's going to be for a big bat. It just seems their need is so heavily swayed to the other side. It's, it's a little hard to envision, but uh, in my mind, you know, if you have a great strength, why not make it greater? We just saw what these big offenses and uh, home run hitters did in the World Series and playoffs here. Agreed, and, and especially watching Houston, I um, talking to friends watching the games in the last week, it, it seems like Houston is very homegrown, um, young kids, kind of like the Twins are hoping to be and and have in their lineup. But supplementing that with with veterans that can take a good at bat outside of maybe Robbie Grossman, uh, players that have uh, some legitimate major league power to add to a lineup with a bunch of young kids just it just makes a lot of sense, I, I, I guess. So. Um, I don't know if the Twins are going to ever get to the Houston level and win a World Series. It's hard to it's hard to demand that or or anticipate that. But um, it seems like a good move where a guy like Carlos Santana or or a DH specific role, somebody that can take a good at bat and 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 have a lot of power added to the lineup, just just helps the lineup overall and helps helps the younger hitters see good at bats um it, it just seems like a plus on a lot of levels to me and um i, I don't see the harm in that so I'm, I'm kind of with you on your other article on how they could add payroll and have a better chance of really going somewhere in the playoffs if they were to add a legitimate designated hitter first baseman or outfielder i guess um along those lines yeah, yeah, you know, with it. I mean, even J.D. Martinez, like we mentioned earlier, I mean, he's probably beyond the realm of possibility, especially now that uh, I just picked up Scott Boris. But, um, you know, the idea of sort of adding a premier bat to this lineup, which is already so stacked, is is, is pretty exciting. I think uh, the Twins, you know, no matter what they do, aren't going to have an amazing pitching staff next year, but they certainly have a could have a pitching staff that, with this defense helping them out, will be good enough to win 95 games with this offense if it lives up to its potential, and uh, and that's pretty exciting. Sure. Well, um, I guess one other question I, I wanted to get to, and it's not specific player moves, but it's been fun watching the Twins offseason 
um, with some of the names of people they've brought into their front office and the big name that everyone's heard of is John Manuel. But I wanted to get your thoughts on maybe um, the John Manuel move or some of the other moves from the kids that are younger than us being brought in um, to run specific departments. Uh, it, it feels like a, a, the new regime is finally putting their stamp on the on the front office, I guess, and it's interesting to to follow along with. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a huge fan of basically everything they're doing. Um, I I can't really sing the praises enough of, of this front office that's taken over. I just uh, I think that the moves that they have made, what we've seen from them so far, with uh, I think the James Rosen. Uh, coaching, pitching coach, or sorry, hitting coach hire being the most obvious and prevalent. Um, but also, you know, Jeff Pickler, I think, uh, as we talk about a guy who is really unsung as one of the coaches on this team, I think he's a big reason for the defense improving as it did. Uh, he's a uh, astute uh, analytical guy who's really good at kind of positioning and shifting and, and knowing all this stuff. I think there have been a lot of subtle moves that this, that uh, Falvey and Levine have made since taking over that um, have really looked good so far, and they they do the right thing. They look for smart people. I mean, they're hiring MIT grads and like all these like you know Ivy League people to to populate the ranks of the front office, and they're going and getting someone who in John Manuel who uh, I don't know how he's going to do as a pro scout, but I know that you know as a as a baseball writer and a base evaluator for Baseball America, he's been one of uh, one of my favorites to follow for many years. Um, you know, they go and get uh, this young 20, I think 27 year old kid to, to run the farm. Um, you know, they're, they seem to really have a pretty good process in place and a good, uh, a good system for finding these people and recruiting. And it seems like they're, as Levine said, you know, we're not going to spend 200 million on payroll, but we can easily outspend a lot of other teams, uh, on some of filling some of these positions and filling some of these departments in the organization without really having to spend that much. And, uh, that's a great philosophy, I think. And so far, I think we're seeing good dividends. And, you know, with this new pitching coach that they brought in, I, I don't really know much about him at all, but I got a lot of faith. I mean, they've, they've really shown a lot of competence in filling some of these spots. Um, so I, I, I have high hopes and high expectations for basically everyone they've brought in so far. Sure. Well, so we're one day away uh, after the – end of the regular season for 2017. And I, I guess I wanted to ask, other than Twins Daily, how do you recommend people get their baseball fixed this winter? Oh, well, or I Twins mean, Daily. follow the I right people two. on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, definitely. Definitely go to Twins Daily. Uh, check out, you know, there's some other good good twin sites out there that are, that are pumping out the uh, – content fairly regularly during the off season. Um, Twitter is always a great place. Uh, you know, I, I guess I follow a baseball centric enough crowd that if I bring up some random baseball off season topic, I have a few people that are willing to chat about it, which is always nice. Um, but yeah, you know, it gets, it gets tough during these winter months. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have some big moves happen early that'll sort of keep the excitement going and, and keep the chatter going. <laughs> Well, yeah, is there so is there a specific um one or two sites that you follow that you think people should be looking into that are twins fans or or not twins fans outside of um major league baseball like i I appreciate uh town ball in Minnesota a lot too and and some of the non affiliated t 
teams like the St. Paul Saints or other teams. Are, are there are there other baseball teams or leagues that you that you get into? Not eh, not not so much. I mean, I just I wish I could. I just barely have the bandwidth to uh, to stay pay attention and stay on top of the Twins as much as I need to. But uh, you know, we do try to cover some of that stuff that comes daily too. We have some Saints coverage. Uh, this season we had some golfers baseball coverage, and you know I'd love to have uh, town ball players and stuff coming on and writing about their leagues and their experiences. You know we're always open to that, so um, I could definitely maybe I should start blogging about my softball home run hitting exploits. <laughs> no one wants no one wants to read that. I I bet you'd get four readers at least or five readers. I would probably read it. It'd be pretty great. Yeah, I'm like, okay. Yeah, you know I'll start analyzing my VORP on the uh, slow pitch softball field and all that. <laughs> well, yeah, I I have so personally, I have small kids and haven't been able to make the winter meltdown in the last couple of years. I'm going to blame it on them, but um, I'm planning on this year. It, it, when do those talks start to go into place so people can plan ahead for um, the January? Let's start talking about baseball again. Yes, well, uh, you definitely need to come this year. There's zero question about that. So uh, make your babysitting arrangements or whatnot uh, very far in advance. Or bring them. I don't know, maybe they're maybe they're ready to come experience their first winter meltdown. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it could happen. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. It's it's family friendly uh, as long as Scott Erickson's not there. <laughs> um, That's what I've heard. <laughs> I was actually not there that year, so I'm just going off uh, third-party recounts. But um, sure. but yeah, it sounded interesting. Uh, so it always <laughs> happens the the weekend of Twins Fest, which I believe is almost always like the last weekend of January. Um, so you can plan plan it on it being that weekend. It'll be the Saturday night. Um, usually skips going around 5:30, and I'm sure we'll start uh, releasing details about that in you know, right after the holidays or something like that. And, uh, yeah, it's a great event. I think it's going to be, it's, it's gotten better every year. Um, last year we did it at brothers, which I think is, was our largest venue. And I thought our best venue, uh, was really nicely set up for what we do with the crowd and the stage and everything. And I believe we'll be back there this year. And, uh, I think looking to just grow it and bring in good guests again and really make it, uh, an enjoyable experience. It's always one of my favorite favorite nights of the year. So I uh, definitely hope definitely hope we'll see you, maybe the family and uh, and everyone else out there. It's gonna be a good time. Yeah, that'd be great. That's my plan to make it this year. It'd be fun to say hello in person and say, hey, I, we talked on a podcast. I'd like to say hi. That'd be uh, a plan of mine, I guess, this year. That's what I'm hoping to do. So it'd be fun, and other people are listening. I hope. I hope everybody can make it out. It, it sounds like just a great event and uh, a way to uh, build the community for Twins Daily, which was the hope that you started out doing in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. You know. I mean. Uh, I think when when we started the site, it was always it was always the idea is to sort of build this community and sort of capture this. Uh, passion of of the baseball community around here, which we knew was really strong. And uh, going to that event, I would say more than anything else, really feels like a realization of that potential to me, to some extent at least. You know, I mean, it can always get bigger and better, but um, to go out to a bar in the middle of January in the dead of winter and have, you know, over 100 just hardcore Twins fans there and drinking and talking ball and um, you know that's that's what it's all about. That was sort of sort of what the site was launched to be. So it, it's really sort of fun to see that come to life. 
Yeah, no doubt. Well, we're God, we're coming up on the hour here, and I appreciate your time um, coming on here. But uh, I guess one last time before we end the show here, if you could go over your Twitter handle so people can connect with you and uh, just say who you are with, with Twins Daily, that would be really great. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's at Nick Nelson MN. Uh, you know, give a follow, give a shout, say hi. Always down to talk and chat some ball. Um, and then twinsdaily.com. You know, you'll find my writing there probably two or three times a week, every week. Um, you know, I hope that anyone listening that's interested in the Twins enough to listen to these these Twins nerdy baseball podcasts and and blog, and read these nerdy baseball blogs will will write their own. You know. Uh, Try. It's really easy if you sign up for an account on Twins Daily. Start your own blog and write about the team and uh, get read and comment and chat with people and that's sort of what it's all about. So I definitely encourage anyone, uh, anyone with a strong interest in the team and some opinions they want to share to to come aboard and and start doing it. That'd be great. And if you're also listening to this and have not yet purchased or downloaded or uh, donated, I guess to uh, be able to read the off-season handbook through Twins Daily, I, I personally recommend that you should. And um, Nick put a lot of work into it, obviously. And Nick, do you want to add any thoughts on, on maybe why people should be doing, um, getting the connection to the off-season handbook? Yeah, I just, I guess the, the, the main thing I would say is uh, there's no reason not to do it. Um, you really can go on and put in zero and download it for free. We won't be offended at all. I'd much rather that Everyone who has any minor level of interest, just go ahead and download it, give it a read, and see what you think. Uh, we worked hard on it, and uh, I think it's really, you know, it's very tailored to the interests of, of the hardcore Twins fan and someone who's kind of hungry for some good content here heading into the off season and wants to size up everything that's available. Um, and it's a really fun product. So, uh, yeah, definitely go on and give it give it a download. It's, it's there, you know, for, for name your price, whatever you want. But uh, I really think that's something that any Twins fan is going to enjoy a lot. Yeah, and I I did at least the first read through. It helped me get through the morning at work. I I gotta say, so <laughs> other other people I can't imagine are that different from 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 me having that outlet. I guess more than anything. So I I appreciated it, and I thank you for all the work that you did on it. It was really great. Yeah, well, thank you, and and everyone else. I mean, the uh, the reception has been great. It's uh, we're getting tons of orders, to, orders and tons of downloads and everything, and uh, that's what we like to see. You know, what I mean. It's very, very reaffirming uh, and sort of reinforces why we put the time in to know that people are getting it and reading it and loving it. So, uh, yeah, appreciate you and everyone else, man, for for having the interest and showing the support. Yeah, of course. Well, um, I I guess I'll just close the episode tonight. I wanted to thank you, Nick, uh, for coming on. It was fun chatting with you, and I hope to be able to meet you in person at the the Winter Meltdown this year, uh, 2018. So it'd be great. Yeah, I hope so too, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, let's do it again sometime in the near future. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's let's plan maybe sometime um, uh, before spring training or around spring training. That'd be great to connect again. Sounds great. Just let me know, man. It was, uh, it was a great talk, and I'd be happy to do it again anytime. Sounds good. Yeah, have a good rest of your night. All right, you too. Thanks, Court. Thanks. And yeah, this is Baseball is Good. I'm Corey Englehart, and thanks for listening.